Welcome to another episode of Key Packing. This is Jeremy Barnes, the hitting coach for the New York Mets. And I'm Tim Lamont, the assistant hitting coach for the Cincinnati Reds. Key Packing is a podcast mainly about optimizing the art and science of coaching, but there are also conversations between friends that can lead to anything we find interesting in our lives. With that said, this podcast is separate from our roles in Major League Baseball, and the opinions of Key Packing or its guests are not the opinions of MLB or any of our organizations. Now, let's get to our podcast. Mm. All right, we're back. Um, episode four, Key Packing. Today is, uh, I'm really excited about today. This is our first actual guest we have on here. Um, I just got back from Iowa with him. We froze our absolute rear ends off there. It was so cold, but we're back. We're living. I think he's still up in the cold right now. I don't know what temperature it is, but um, I just want to introduce Scott Lawler. He was my hitting coach at Notre Dame, so very fortunate here to have Two of the most influential hitting coaches I've had in my life. Tim Lamont was my high school hitting coach, and Scott Lawler was my college hitting coach, and at times both at the same time. So excited to have y'all both on here, Scott. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks. It, it, it is still uh, it's still cold here. It's about fifteen degrees. So warmed up since you've been here. Yeah, we um, we drove to Iowa the other day to speak at that conference that I was talking about um, last week. And what was the high? Like five, five, I think. Uh, we kept looking at my uh, my car, and it was zero, three, five. I think five was the highest. No. Yeah, wind chills in the negative. As soon as we hit Iowa border, it was like Armageddon. There was like 50 cars oh. in the ditch, flipped over, 18-wheelers flipped the other way. It was madness. Um, but you, The only thing is it didn't stop you from talking. Yes, so it, it did it, not it, stop it, me it's from talking. It's hard to, it's it's hard stop, to stop. It stopped me from talking because I was driving. But it didn't stop you from talking. So <laughs> it's hard to stop me from talking. Um, there you go. But no, it it was it was a really good, really good conference. Um, honestly, like I, I was telling Tim the other day, we were having a conversation, and I I, I feel like I took a lot out of it. Um, these guys, one so impressive to to come on a weekend and in five degree temperatures from all over Iowa and and listen in, and they were hungry to learn. Um, but just, again, it reminds me of the, the, the things that they have to deal with. A lot of these guys were science teachers and, you know, doing different things. And then they, they go out and they coach baseball in the afternoon. And just to be that hungry to learn and continue to do things is, you know, a lot of respect to everybody there. So it was, it was a very eye-opening experience and I really enjoyed it. So I appreciate you letting me come out. No, that was awesome. I, I'm, I, they were happy to have you. Um, and you're right, it's five degrees and, and they filled that room up. There was a a lot of good speakers and, a, and a, a lot of high school coaches there to listen. So, Lawler, can you go into your past? What have you done, like mm-hmm. what you know, within the baseball world? And then, what are you currently doing now? Can you give us a, the Cliff Notes version of it all? Yeah, I'll go quick. Uh, former college player, uh, got into college coaching at a very young age. Uh, coached at Simpson College. Coached at Northern Illinois. University of Evansville, Arkansas, Arkansas Little Rock, and uh, Notre Dame. Been a hitting coach, pitching coach, associate head coach, recruiting coordinator. Um, was a bird dog scout with the Marlins. Um, then got into high school, which my dad was a high school coach for 30-odd years. Kind of followed in his footsteps. So I'm an athletic director and a high school coach and helped travel baseball at the high school level. And thrown in a little bit of Little League in there because I have a couple sons there. So kind of done the whole gamut from Little League all the way to college. And Tim, I was telling um, Scott a second ago, he was asking how old your son is, and 18. 
And then how old are your kids, Scott? Uh, Luke's a, a senior. He's 18. A daughter uh, who's a sophomore and then an eighth grade son. So... So that's a little pertinent as the issue, the issue that we want to talk about today. And, and it came up a lot on our ride to Iowa. And I asked Scott to jump on here with this is we, I want to talk about college. It's something that I'm not that familiar with anymore. Um, I'll be completely honest with you. I've had a little bit of a pipe dream. I, I've thought that college was the development Mecca and I could have an athlete on campus for three to four years. And they weren't going to get traded or they weren't going to, you know, get rule fived or anything like that. And it was a, a opportunity to have a guy from freshman to, to senior and you could make a lot of a lot of improvement there. I think I was a little bit, I, you know, as eye opening conversational on a lot of the trip there. And so I want to just touch on things. So real quickly, if you had to go back from when you were a college coach to where the college game is now, what's changed? I think the, the biggest thing that's changed, it was starting to do it. So I, I've been out of college ball for about 10 years. And um, it was started towards the, the last couple of years I was at University of Notre Dame was that there's a little less of development or teaching, not because the college coaches um, don't know how to teach. There's just not a lot of time. And I think what it's developed into is you, you scouting. Um, there's a lot of scouts on the college staff now, um, because of a, a bunch of different, uh, situations with, with travel baseball getting, um, more popular because I mean, there's travel teams all over the place. There's showcases. So there's a lot of time for these college coaches to get on the road and check out kids. So I think that's the biggest thing that's changed is I think most college coaches are scouts now and. Not that they don't have the ability to coach, but there's a little less coaching. And I got into it from the very get-go because my uncle and my dad were teachers, or I would say coaches, that you got guys better. Now, I'm not trying to say coaches don't get people better. There's just not a lot of time to do it because you're on the road a lot. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. So a lot of people don't realize, or maybe they don't realize, but especially at the D1 level, and this was the case when I was there at Notre Dame as well, you, you have a lot of time restrictions. Like you mm -hmm. weren't allowed to see me f like in the fall for all that much. And there were times that I had to do a lot of stuff on my own. And if you Absolutely. don't have the facilities to, to do things on your own, one, that's a massive bottleneck that you have to get over. But can you go into the rules and regulations around like Yeah, that? you know, it, it, some things have changed since I've been there, but usually at, at a Division One school, you're going in and you're you're practicing – you know, maybe four to six weeks in the fall, and then you go into four-on-ones. They, they've changed that a little bit with what you can do, um, but you go on four-on-ones, but you're only allowed like 20 hours a week to, to practice. So you have the weightlifting, um, school. So within a day, there's just a lot of, of on a, a, a kid's plate and a coach's plate to try to get done. So you're turning in your hours to the NCAA compliance officer at your school, to make sure you're not going over those hours. Now that's mostly NCAA division, you know, junior college is a little bit different. They have a couple more hours than we do at the division one level when I was there. But, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, Jeremy, when I was coaching, if you didn't have somebody like Tim that you could talk to and maybe bounce some stuff off, because when we were talking in the car, there's plenty of times you called me, hey, can you throw BP to me? I'm trying to work on something. Hey, uh, I'm sorry, we're over the hours or, you know, I'm in California recruiting right now. 
Um, and, and, and that's, you know, you're trying to build like relationship and trust, but to build trust and relationship, you have to be present to do that. So, and, and I know my last couple of years at, at Notre Dame, man, I loved all you guys, but you know, it was hard because I wasn't always there because I had to get on the road and recruit. Yeah. I mean, so much of your job is dependent on recruiting classes and mm -hmm. the ranking of those recruiting classes, right? Like, can you, can you go into that? Like, what is, explain like a recruiting class and the rankings of all that and like why that's important. So the, the, you, what you're trying to do, at least when I first started is, you know, it's kind of old fashioned, like, Hey, we need a shortstop. So I'm going to try to get maybe one or two shortstop to battle each other, to, to take on that role. And, um, in the past, it was just like, hey, I'm looking for six guys to fit in a role. Um, so when you're going out, you want to find those best players. You find people that fit your school, but then you're also looking at is Prep Baseball Report or, or Perfect Game or, or scouts ranking these guys high because as much as you might think, hey, this guy's a great guy, but he is and he fits your school. And believe me, I found a bunch of guys that weren't ranked that helped us out at a bunch of different schools I was at. But you do want that because it's it's marketing. And and really it's um recruiting classes are all about marketing. Mm -hmm. Um we had uh, the fourth ranked recruiting class and we had kids trying to hop on the recruiting class because they kept reading about it in publications. Now I'm not saying that that fourth ranked recruiting class, because it didn't, we didn't win a college world series. So we weren't ranked the fourth best team in the nation because mm -hmm. those guys got to develop and and not you miss people on those. Um, and it's funny, one of the guys in that class was the best player was a walk-on. So you, you don't know sometimes. But the, the rankings are important because it is it does help uh, marketing. So you have to have, you know, a little bit of, of compromising between your eye, knowing that you need this guy, and trying to get a high ranking so um, you can market your program. It's all about marketing with your program too. Yeah. Can you go into real quick? And I, you may have mentioned this a second ago, but you know, you talked about you do some stuff for the White Sox right now and their development mm -hmm. program. You're a varsity coach on top of being, so you're an athletic director at Bennett. You're also the varsity head coach um, there. And then you do this stuff with the White Sox. And part of what you do with the White Sox, if I understood right, was you really help the parents through the development, like the, the, pro the college process and answer questions and you're honest with them. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, it, absolutely. Um, I think the recruiting process has changed a lot since, um, you know, Tim, when you were a high school coach, it's changed. Since you, you've been a player, Jeremy, it's changed. Um, so there's a lot of panic with the parents right now um, because there's social media. And, and yes, I do this with the White Sox. Um, the White Sox is called White Sox Elite. It's 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 travel programs, just like there's travel programs everywhere. But what I try to do is try to take the kid that's a freshman, a sophomore, junior, and even senior, um, because every kid's on their own path. Um, mm -hmm. We know that with with guys in college, pro guys, everybody's on a different path. But everybody at at the high school level sometimes think it's a cookie cutter approach all the way through. When maybe a kid hasn't grown yet. Maybe he hasn't figured out he likes the game yet. Um, and what we don't want to do is turn kids off. So what I try to do with parents and kids is try to give them some patience and some knowledge of what they need to do to develop if their son chooses they want to. 
Um, you know, and that's a big thing. That's do, the big. Do, that's they want to. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think sometimes it's funny. One of my opening things that I talk about is, um, hey, if you're trying to get your kid, there's nothing wrong with pushing your kid to have success, but if you are grabbing them and, and dragging them to the cages to hit um, and pushing them to do that, you know, maybe high school is 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 where they're going to retire, and that's okay. Because, you know, once you jump into the college level or even beyond, I mean, a lot of that hard work's got to be on your own. Um, because, you know, that practice time, that's the coaches. But as you guys both know, you know, that time by yourself in the cage off the tee or doing some driveline mechanics or extra ground balls, that's when you're going to really get your game going. And it's because you love the game. So, yeah. So I got to talk to the parents a little bit about that. So, um, so there's still enjoyment for those kids at the high school level. So they're still having fun. Um, and they don't make it a business. They, they still learn how to win, play the game. Um, but also know how to market themselves the right way. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. So the, when I think about the recruiting process in college right now, and Tim, I, I'm curious your take on this cause you have a son kind of in this moment. Um, I think of the transfer portal and I think of NIL money. Cause that's all that's dominated kind of by the news and what is coming out of the college process and recruiting process right now. Can you explain what the heck the transfer portal is? Cause it's, it's so different than what it was when I was a player. Like I could transfer when I was a player, but there were certain circumstances that you may even have to sit out a year if you transferred like D one to D one at, at a certain point. <laughs> now it seems like it's just the wild, wild West to me. Um, and I'm extremely ignorant on it. So can you it kind of maybe explain the history of the transfer portal, what it was, and then now what it is, and then what is NIL yeah. money? Like, what does that even mean? So a couple of things with it. You know, the transfer portal now is, um, and I don't care what division, you know, division one, two, and three, um, You if you go to your coach at the end of the year or even the middle of the year or, or middle of the fall and Hey, coach, I'm transferring. I'm going to put my name in the transfer portal. And, and you go to their the compliance office and, and your name's in the, in the transfer portal. Now, what it does is now that I'm another NCAA school, that's another recruiting tool for me, just like a high school publication of rankings. Now I'm getting to see this group of kids that are leaving their school. I can look at their stats, what they did the year before. Maybe they haven't played, but I go back. But it's it's basically free agency of college college baseball is basically what it says. Now, when they first started, they were trying to protect kids because there was so much movement with college coaches leaving, um, coach getting fired. So, uh, because a lot of coaches, you know, you're at a mid-major, you want to go to Auburn someday. You want to coach at Texas A&M. And they thought it was unfair for these kids to be trapped at a school um, when co coaches could freely leave anytime. So, they were trying to give some uh, some good rights to the player, and and what it's done with name, image, and likeness, which I'll get to in a second, it's just caused free agency right now um, for for college players. So um, and then to, to go along with that name, image, and likeness, which is not at every school because you got to have money to do this with with uh, a lot of the bigger schools have this. Um, it's it's what it is. Name, image, and likeness. You're going to get paid to play, um, and what it's called, they're called collectives, and that's the group uh, of the entity at the school that is helping 
fund these players. Some schools might give every kid $5,000. Some have a pool to give a certain player a certain amount of money. It all is set up by the school differently. So, um, you know, it's 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 helped kids, especially baseball. There's only 11.7 scholarships at the Division One level. So, you know, some kids are actually getting NLI money to finish off, you know, their scholarship. Maybe they're only on 50%. Now they're getting a full ride uh, because of name, image, likeness. So there's a lot of good things about it. Um, but it, there's free agency. So, you know, like, Jeremy, if you were a, a backup, um, or Tim, if you were a backup in college, you know, the old school way is like, okay, as a freshman, maybe you're not going to play. Or if you were playing, you're batting seventh or eighth in the lineup. You know, or if you're a pitcher coming out of the bullpen and you learn to get better every year. So maybe when you were a junior and senior, you were a stud at that school. That's That I'm, that still happens, but that's kind of out the door now. Because now it's kind of like, well, maybe I made the wrong choice. So I can already tell I'm the backup shortstop. So I'm going to put my name in the portal and see what's out there. So, um, and the last thing with that is I might be a Division two or Division three guy, um, or even at a, a Power 5 school. Um, I might try to put my name in like a free agency and see if I can get money with name, image, and likeness by putting my name in the portal. Um, so there's some kids out there saying, you know what, I don't have a lot of money, and I'm on 25%, so I'm going to put my name in the portal to either have my current coach give me more money or I'm going to have somebody else pay for me to play somewhere else. So the thing that I kept thinking about when we were having this conversation in the car was, you know, we let off with this. There is less development in college than probably there ever has been. It's not saying there's mm-hmm. not development. That's not saying there's schools that aren't doing a good job, but in general, right. There's probably less development going on in, in college baseball than there ever has been. Then you factor in this transfer portal thing, which now schools are constantly losing players, right? And they're 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 constantly revamping their roster every single year for the most part, mm-hmm. which then makes the coach focus on recruiting even more, right? Which then just perpetuates yeah. the fact that I got to scour the transfer portal. I got to get out there and see new guys. I have to make sure that... um you know, if I lose my third baseman and shortstop and my right fielder this next year, I'm covered. And so it creates much more of a churn and a focus on really everything other than I got Johnny to come to my school. He wasn't quite ready as a freshman, but we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then he's going to really contribute to our team success as a junior. But mm-hmm. that's not quite a thing anymore, it seems like. No, it's not in, you know... With that, talking to a bunch of college coaches at a bunch of different levels, um, it's hard to build trust with players. Um, yeah, because I can only you, imagine. You, you develop kids, and you're kind of always looking over your shoulder as a coach, like, hey, I got this guy who was throwing 85, 86, and I, I two-pitch guy, I, I taught him a third, put 20 pounds on him, and now he's 91, 92. And, um, you know... And I have him at a mid-major or a Division two school and Division three school. And, and next thing I know, it, he's in the portal and he's getting 50% from a Power 5 school. Um, that's tough to stomach because even what you guys do, you know, y- yes, you might lose some of your players to a free agency. Um, but you get the young rookie that comes in. you got a couple of years to, to develop some trust with them. And I, 
again, I'm not at your level, so I don't know that, but I would assume there's the some trust. The equivalency is this. It's and we experienced this quite a bit at the Astros. You get a guy in from the draft, you're like, ah, oh, he's not quite ready, but there's mm-hmm. promise. You invest a year, two years in his development, you 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 help him pull the right strings, and then boom, he's traded and he's gone. Yep. Yes. And now he's in the big leagues for another organization. And it's like, whoa, okay. Like I, I remember for me, even as a coordinator, that was shocking where it was like I invested blood, sweat, and tears into this guy. He's all of a sudden just now at a point where he's ha- starting to have success. And then he's gone. Like overnight, he's gone. And Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have a kid. I, I always think back now because the transfer portal was not a thing when I was coaching. I, I was at University of Evansville for three years. We had a, a kid. His name was Eric Liss. Breakout year. Eric Liss goes to the Texas Collegiate League. I think it was the first time the Texas Collegiate League was in his was in existence, and I think he batted like four hundred. And um, and I'm sitting there worried that a bigger school like Texas or Texas A&M or Baylor would take him, knowing he would have to sit out, but still it might up his draft status by going to one of those schools. But he didn't. He came back. You know, he 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 was a high draft for us. Made it to AAA. But the point of the story is, if it was today, there's no way Eric List stays at Evansville. <laughs> no way. No. Because Eric List, Eric List in the Texas Collegiate Elite. I mean, you're in the hotbed of of baseball in Texas, and if that guy, I mean, every school in Texas have been like, hey, full ride. We'll give you some some uh, name image like this money. And even though we developed him, and I have a great relationship with him still, he would have been like, coach. I'm sorry, I'm going to go get paid. It's hard to so, turn down that cash. It is, and, and I don't blame these kids for doing it. But as a coach, you know, you asked me at the very beginning of this, you know, about what's changed. When you have the transfer portal out there, that's tough as a coach to to build that trust to even want to develop. So now it's kind of like, I'm going to go check out high school kids, I'm going to co- check out junior college kids, and now I'm going to check out the portal. Um, to add free agents every year. So, and that's that's kind of college coaching right now. Well, one thing that I know Tim and I talk about off air, but I think we've talked about it on this podcast already is, like you said, how much you have to be present and build that trust before you can start going in and changing a house. I know um, there was an athlete that I had and he was joking with me. You know, why didn't you tell me this day one in spring training? And I was like, you're not ready. You aren't ready for it in spring training. I'm not going to walk into your house day one and tell you where to move your furniture. I need to spend some time and get to know you a little bit before I start making serious changes in your swing and your game. And yeah, if you don't have the time for that, if within six months or eight months or a year they're gone, I mean, especially as a freshman, if they're not playing ball games all that much, it may be hard to really decide what you want to change in them. You know, on that same line, you know, the the thing that I think is, I, I don't want to say that there's no school doing development, though, mm-hmm. because I do feel some of the bigger schools have poured money into creating different jobs that um, you'll see, like, assistant pitching coordinator or pitching development person, because there's only a, a certain amount of uh, recruiters allowed on the road. Mm-hmm. So uh, the NCAA is allowed to, you know, the schools have gotten creative on how they've named assistants. So you do see some more guys at home coaching, um, but not every school has got the budget of Texas A&M. Yeah. Not every school has got the budget of Mississippi State to do that. So 
Um, and thing, again, they're still managing the portal too, trying to get kids into their school. One thing I don't think, and this is my my naivety in this whole thing, but one thing I I always forget about until I actually talk to you is for every Notre Dame or every A and M or every LSU or Mississippi State, there's twenty other schools or options that you could go to and get really good college baseball for. And, you know, they don't, they don't have that budget. And so really the masses and the most likely place for most athletes to go are not the LSUs. They're the other schools that have the opportunities and all that stuff. And they, you know, we look at the LSUs and the Mississippi States and the Notre Dames and all that stuff and, and think that that's the common recruiting practices and common college experience. And really it's not, those are actually the rarity. I, w- I would say in, in most situations. Yeah, I would I would agree. And and one thing the portal has done, and and um, also the draft. You know, there's not as many rounds, mm-hmm. um, so there's there's more kids out there lingering in college baseball today. That years ago they would have been, you know, a late round draft pick. It would have been a fortieth rounder. They, they, you know, the the that they're an A ball instead of trying to still play college baseball. So between the portal and the draft, I think it's made college baseball at whole better, not not better as in development, but you're seeing better players at the Division two level, junior college, Division three, um, because it's kind of pressed down with talent now. Not everybody can go to LSU and Notre Dame, like you just said, um, but you're seeing some mid-majors have some really good players. But, you know, there's some Division three schools in our area right now that are going to have some draft picks um, because people are going to where they can play now too. It's not all Division mm-hmm. One, because you know the major league draft. You'll see guys from like junior college, Division Three, Division Two, a lot of more Division One, but um, you'll see a lot of different levels of college get drafted. So um, I think because of the portal, people are looking for that best chance to play um, instead of. Like, I'll go be a backup in Notre Dame. I'll go be a backup at Texas a Yeah, no, so, so two questions, and you kind of already answered one. First off, is one of the biggest pieces of advice you'd give a parent go somewhere where you can play instantly because of this whole si- portal situation? Yeah, I hate to say this, but, um, you know, it, it, it's almost like any school is a junior college if you want it to be uh, because of the transfer portal. Um, I could go to Northern Illinois Division One school down the street. Um, I could go to Division Three school down the street, and if I have you know a good year, I could put myself in the transfer portal and go to LSU. I can go to Michigan State. I can I can go to any school I want to after that. So, you know what I hope for families is they go where they can play, and if they transfer out, okay, that's and to me that's not the goal. The goal is that I hope they have great coaching, great teammates, great atmosphere, so they have a great experience playing college baseball. That's what I hope. Now, there are some kids that are going to go to a Division three school, gain 20 pounds, and all of a sudden they're a different player. And um, they can put their name in the transfer portal and and maybe get a year or two at, uh, you know, a Power 5 or even, you know, a great mid-major school. So, um, there's just way more opportunity for kids uh, to to move on. So, to me, you got to go find somewhere they want you. Um, and if you do go somewhere, 
have patience to to um to move on meaning not move on excuse me but you know grind it out to be a good backup so you can possibly be a starter that's kind of the lost art right now um is but to me my best advice to people go to a school that if you got hurt you would enjoy the school so i i think that's that's the best piece of advice because um i feel like baseball is a grind not everybody can be the star shortstop star center fielder so if you like the school you like your teammates you like your coach it's easier to grind if you enjoy it um yeah. if you if you can if you have that choice to do no that good good advice so you talk to a lot of parents about this and i can only imagine i have a three-year-old son so i can't even imagine you know, when my son's 18, if he's wanting to play college baseball, how I'm going to feel about this. But I can, I can only imagine. And what would you say talking to parents is the biggest misconceptions parents have regarding the recruiting process? I, I think that the biggest thing, um, one is that like, I think the 1% are the ones that get recruited. Okay. So like if you're, if you're the 6'4 right-handed pitcher throwing 93-94, you don't need help. You can just show up to like one camp and everybody's going to know who you are. And and I think the biggest thing is is as a parent and a kid going through the process, kids and families need to reach out to schools and tell them they're interested in the school. I think everybody has this like myth of I don't care what level it is, you know, like 20, 20 letters in the mail, like back in the day, or 20 emails, when that only happens to maybe a guy that's going to get drafted or the top high school player in the state, everybody else, th- there's a story to tell. And there's probably a school for you, but you as a parent and kid have to do the homework to find those fits. Um, and I think there's a lot of guys that will get discouraged when it's like, you know what, I, I know I'm not a Division One athlete, but I just figured at least a division two and division three school would call me, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, well, did you send them any emails or letters? Well, no. Well, I guarantee if you'd send a few, you'd, you'll get a few phone calls. Um, so I think that's it. It's, it's social media. Um, I think word of mouth, bad word of mouth of how the recruiting process is. It, it, it it's scary for parents. So I think there's a lot of panic where if you kind of slow the process down. I always say, um, you you got to get um, an evaluation that is honest of where you are right now. Um, everybody wants to talk about um, my kid's projectable. Okay, well, the transfer portal doesn't matter anymore. You got to be ready to play at whatever level you're at um, because they can go find somebody that is. So I'm kind of getting off on on your question. Like, little, no, I think it's good. I think more than ever, but, it's like, you know, the old saying, I remember growing up, it was like, you never know who's watching. Literally, you do. Now, that's true. more than ever, you never know who's watching. If you go put numbers up anywhere, you have a shot to continue on at the level you're at or even move on to a different spot if if, if that's the right thing for you. It, absolutely. And and I think with that is if parents get an honest evaluation from somebody, you know, whether that's your high school coach, your travel coach, you know, like, hey, where am I? You know, here's my metrics. Okay, your metrics are good, but you don't know how to play the game. Or you do know how to play the game. You got a good swing, but you got to gain 30 pounds. And I think there's a lot of people that are scared to tell kids the honest evaluation. 
So well, that was going to be my question is how hard is it to get an honest evaluation? I think it's it's hard because it's it's such a big business now. Um, showcases and you can go on Twitter and, and become an expert at anything now in baseball. Um, <laughs> well, it, and it is because, you know, for the most part, um, I think it's it's hard to get an honest evaluation because you might drive away business. Um, but I think you might help them more. They, they, you know, a lot of people go to showcases. If you're not ready to showcase yourself, go spend money on a strength coach or a gym membership. Um, you know, if you got a long swing, go find somebody that's going to help your swing and then go hit, you know, things like Tim, when you and I are growing up, like that's, that was normal, you know, like, Hey, I need to get, can I go to a college camp? They tell us, Hey, we got to get better at hitting. Well, I'd go back and hit off my tee until my hands were bleeding. So that's not kind of the case now, but <laughs> so, but you got to get that honest evaluation. No, that's, that's, I mean, I, I just got to imagine, like, I, I don't think this is bad to say. Is the average parent poor at evaluating their son? I mean, I would imagine most are, I would probably be right. Like, that, like well, Tim, that, you could probably answer this. <laughs> uh, you know, I would like to believe I'm probably harder on my son than most people, but um, but I I've been around enough parents and dealt with from being a high school coach and then running my own business um, that I did feel like to a large degree it was my job to try to tell them like what they not what they wanted to hear but what they needed to hear um, and I think a lot of times you know, you lose, you do lose business when you, when you do that, but typically it'll come back to you, or at least it did back in, and how things were. But again, all I keep hearing is, is like, there's almost no way to develop a bubble kid or a kid who's um, maybe a late bloomer um, that, that I recognize like, I, and since like I'm sitting here racking my brain, listening to you, trying to figure out like, how do you go about that if you're a parent? Like, if you your kid does have a passion for the game and you know works hard, but for whatever reason, you know they're they're small or they um they just don't quite have the skill acquisition yet. Whatever it is, like, where do you find that? Because obviously, there's batting cages, there's hitting coaches. You can get stronger in the gym. All these things are is great advice, but ultimately, you've you've got to have time playing the game to be good at playing the game and if you're not good when you're young you're not on these travel teams you're you're on a team that maybe is playing three games a weekend and done because they're losing and so it's like it's such a dilemma for parents um i know it was for me because uh, you know i left to go to pro ball when my son was going into eighth grade so i i've missed his whole eighth grade high school career and oh the only thing i can really do with him is hit in a cage i can't get him out on the field and teach him how to actually play the game. And so like now I'm at this point, you know, he's 18 and looking to go play in college. And I mean, we're literally just looking at community colleges or something close where he can hopefully get some, some experience, but it, it's, it's somewhat disheartening. Cause I listen to this and I'm like, man, like where does a kid go to get this anymore? We don't have volunteer dads anymore to go out and make sure kids are getting what they need. And, um, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of disheartening sitting here listening to it as a dad, not as a coach. No, I mean, I think this is the point of this conversation though, right? Sure. It's like, I'm curious your response to that, Lawler. Like you have a dad that comes in and says that to you. Like what, what is the advice there? I, I'm clueless. I'd say, I, I don't know. I'm going to call no, Scott Lawler. It, 
Tim, you you made some good points on that, and and I think going the the looking at the route, and I've never seen your son play, of course, but community college, junior colleges right now are great. If if your son has a passion for it, um, I think it's one of the best routes right now, um, because it gives them another two years to develop and, and kind of figure that out. Um, and with the transfer portal, there's going to be the kids that might be ahead of them right now might not even be playing in a couple years because they. They picked the wrong school. Now, on that same line, I think what's really interesting is because there's a lack of, and Jeremy, we talked about this a little bit on the car ride, um, since there's a lack of development in college, and again, not that the college coaches can't develop, they just don't have time to because they're scouting, you go to the high school level, and because scouting is so important, most of, you get your high school season, but colleges are playing at that same time so there's not a lot of colleges watching high school games so it's all in the summer so now you got summer ball which has turned into travel tournaments from not just on the weekend anymore but tuesday through sunday you know tuesday through monday and these kids are playing but not practicing at all and 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 now then it's going to 13 and 14 year olds saying well if you want to play on one of these top travel teams you need to do this also at third. So we're we're missing steps of development. At, at at you got to at some age, teach the development so they can play these games. And I'm not even saying that's the right thing to do when they're 15 and 16, but we're missing a lot of steps because of these tournaments and showcasing. Um, and like I said, like you know, a little bit ago, if you're the one percent, you might be able to showcase yourself at 15. If you're the 1%, you might be able to showcase yourself at 16. But everybody else should be learning how to develop and play the game until you become the 1%. And most people never become the 1%. So um, that's that's the tough part. This is a a question that even comes up in professional baseball when you're talking about minor leagues. What is the best strategy? So we'll frame it not around the minor leagues right now, but we'll frame it around, I want my son to get a college scholarship. What comes first? Learning how to win and is winning a skill? And are you are, are do we need to teach these kids how to win and play baseball? Or is it I need to hit the ball hard, I need to throw the ball hard, I need to run a 6 8 60, like is it the tools? Like what is like what is what's the chicken or the egg? Which one comes first? Like what is more important here? So on that so if I have a kid, so when I was at Notre Dame, I used to tell this story, like when we, when we do a camp and there was a hundred kids at the camp and I would tell a hundred kids to circle around and do their slow motion smooth swing. Okay. I wasn't really looking at a swing. I just wanted to see who sticks three, who sticks four, circle their name, you know, and be like, okay, here we go. And, and then, you know, some people would show they have a long swing in slow motion already. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, that one's out already. But yeah. You're looking at the size. And the reason I'm saying that is is between speed and size, all scouts, and including myself, you know, we give kids second and third chances when you're bigger and stronger or quicker, you know? So to me, you know, showing off your metrics when you're maybe you're 15 or 16, if you have the body that's going to get somebody's attention, then I would say show off your metrics a little bit. But there's a trick to that. There's a lot of kids that do that, commit early, and are never ready to play the game. 
So they go to the college and they end up getting dumped, even though they have great metrics. Now, we'll talk about the kid that maybe gets asked to, to walk on at one of those colleges, but went to the, the metrics. They didn't do the metrics. They, they did the development side of things and they learn how to play the game. Those are the kids that like, I think stick in college and pass people in college when you know how to win and you know how to play the game. I got a kid right now who's a, he's going to be a walk on at a division one school, but the kid knows how to play. He, He's, his baseball IQ is off the chart. He just needs to gain 30 pounds. Mm -hmm. So if he does gain 30 pounds, 20 to 30 pounds, he's going to pass a lot of guys with metrics that are getting probably over, recruited over him right now. So mm -hmm. I guess to answer your question is, you know, the, the metrics will get you seen and size will get you seen sooner, but you got to know how to play the game. And you, you got to be an athlete. Don't get me wrong. Knowing how to play the game is how you're going to stay and play once you get to the college. Because that's the whole point, right? Like, you want to be able to compete when you get there. Well, I mean, yeah, the par the parents are that. Most parents want the 15 minute of fame of, I just want them to say they're going there when there's just a whole other level of, like, when you get there, you got to know how to practice. You know, you got to be a great teammate. You got to listen to a whole, you know, a bunch of different voices. Um, some good, some bad. And, um, you know, like, Jeremy, when you were there, you had Tim to talk to you about, you know, like, I'm trying to do this. I heard this from Coach Lawler. Okay, I don't understand what he was saying. And I'm being serious. Mm -hmm. But you you learned how to play the game so you could ask the right questions. That's why you played as a freshman and you competed all four years at, at college because you know how to win and you know how to compete. Yeah, yeah. And, no, and there was – I think it's a really good point. Cause I, so going back to Iowa, there was a Creighton coach there, an Ole Miss coach there, Iowa coaches. Like, so there was numerous college coaches there. And I think every single college coach said something like this in their presentation. If we're not winning, I'm gone. Yep. And again, that's, that's the coach giving you the answer. If you can't help us win a ball game, I'm not going to play you because I am gone. Yeah. And yeah. so like... I, I think, yeah, you, you know, the skills get you looked at. I think that's a good way to say it. It gets you your 15 minutes of fame. But if you you hit the ball harder than anyone on the team and you throw harder than anyone on the team, but you can't play baseball, at a lot of levels, you're not going to be in the lineup. You're going to get a couple chances, probably more yeah. chances than other people, but you're ultimately going to wind up in the same spot until you learn how to play the game. And we see this even in... in professional baseball would you say like double a is probably the marker where it's like okay the tools kind of get you there but then around double a it's like can this guy help us win of the big leagues and i'm going to give you a statement and then i'm curious your take on this i'm a hitting coach but in being in the game one of the most overlooked things in professional baseball is defense if mm -hmm. you're really good at defense you have a really good shot of being on a big league roster and people don't think about that. They just focus on exit velocity and, heck, I love that kind of stuff, right? Like, let's hit the ball hard, let's hit it over the fence, let's do that thing. But if you can do that and you cannot play defense, your margin for error is very small in order to stay on a big league roster. And so flipping that to the question to you is, what is the biggest misconception 
in the development process if I want to go play? Like, what what do people get wrong? Do they not pay attention to defense like that? Is it they like what is what what do people get wrong more often than not? People spend way too much time on hitting, and 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 not on defense at all. And <laughs> no, no, because. And really, if you're the 6'4", 230-pound guy that that um, can hit moonshots out of the ballpark, well, you keep hitting because they'll figure out where to put you. But, yes, you need a hit to get in the game, but you cannot be a liability when you're only playing 60 games. And and if you're a liability, a college is going to find you. And, and, like, whether you're the third baseman that you're in there for hitting, they're going to bunt on you um, in, until you're out of the game. And so I think defense and, and, and being quick, you know, a lot of people um, will look at the 60 only and they don't rely on, on like, okay, hey, I want to be a 6-7 runner. Okay, well, that's great, but your reads in the outfield are you're like a 7-5 runner. So who cares if you run a 6-7-60? You know, or, you know, I tell a lot of kids, like I'm, I talk about range in the infield and, you know, we always go back to 60 with the kids, but I'm like, okay, again, you're a 6760, but your range at shortstop, if you're going to play at Louisville, you you should be able to, like, cover from, like, second base, almost almost the third base <laughs> that you're diving for a ball. You know, now we're, we don't have the same velocity kids hitting, you know, mm-hmm. at, at, at college and pro. So that's different. I know that. But at a high school level – like they should be able to move their feet, not have to dive for some balls. So, the answer to your question, defense is like the biggest thing. People don't work on it. Um, you know, even pitching wise, a lot of guys are stop working on their second and third pitch. That it's, hey, if I can get to 94, 95, somebody's going to take a chance on me. And I can't tell you how many college coaches I talk to that have a fleet of 93, 95 kids in the bullpen that can't throw a strike. Well, that was going to be my next question was, is that even true? If I hit 93, 94, I'm going to get a scholarship. Like, I feel like we've created this cage culture in today's society where it's like, if I hit 100 miles an hour on the track, man, if I throw 95 on my, in my, in my pen, if I run a 6860, I'm going to get a scholarship. Is that true? Or is that just some myth that we've created? It's a myth that we've created. I think it's. A way to get attention, absolutely. So all you're doing, if you see stuff posted on Twitter or or you go to a showcase, it's as a college recruiter, I'm looking at that. I'm not saying, oh my gosh, the kid ran a six seven and has has a hundred exit velocity. I'm like circling him to go see if he can play the game. And so we have kids hitting those metrics, thinking this is automatically going to give me a, a scholarship. You know, I have a handful of kids that like are six nine runners six eight runners and you know some of them are like hey if i get to six six i'm gonna play d1 i'm like you're fast enough how about you learn how to go play the outfield that that's gonna help you you know how about like you have an on-base percentage of 500 and steal 20 bases so what i'm selling you the guy's a base runner he can play any outfield spot in a pinch he can play third base and he also can hit oh yeah he can run a little bit and and that that part like we don't get anymore because um, you know what if you take a college roster, I that stuff's thrown out. Nobody nobody's running the sixty unless you're going to get drafted possibly, 
and you know, like you're saying, hey, that guy can hit. He's got range. You know, that guy throws three pitches for a strike. I don't know what that changeup is, but nobody can hit it. So we're pitching him. You know, there's a guy that, um, that it, Eric Moss to our our Sunday starter at some games, a right-handed pitcher. So he was 83, 85. If if he ever listens to this, he'll probably call me and say he throws 90, but he didn't. But he was a 83 to 85 right-handed pitcher. He was also a punter on the football team. That's probably why he never threw 90. Okay, but but he had a great changeup and he could flick a, th- a curveball, and he won games because I mean I know we had a bunch of other guys that could throw 90 and stuff like that, but like I remember one year West Virginia had like the most prolific offense, and he shut him out because he threw like 70% changeup. And to Eric, that he was just playing the game, you know. So that's there's still there's still room for that. I'll 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 build on this. And you know, when you look at the draft, some of the guys and Tim, I'm curious your take on this. Some of the guys that excite me the most are not the guys that have the highest exit velocity. They're the guys that make a ton of contact. That and they they have like more walks than they have strikeouts, and they like they show a an advanced like plan and approach, right? Because if there's anything that I can teach and Tim can teach, it's what exit velocity, exit velocity. Bar. We can hit the ball yeah. harder. I can get you in the cage and we can teach you to hit the ball harder. We can sync you up. We can get you on all the metrics. We can do that. We can figure out where your force is. We can do what we need to do to get you bigger, to, to get you hit the ball harder. And you know what the number one thing to do to hit the ball harder is? Get in the weight room. Yeah. That's the number one thing you can do to hit the ball harder. So when I see a college guy that's about to get drafted and you go, oh, this guy's a pure hitter. He makes a ton of contact. He doesn't swing and miss all the time. That excites me because one thing that we've seen is when you like once you get drafted, let's say I swing and miss 30% of the time in college. Let's just say that's a hypothetical number. What it's going to like we can see that in pro ball, every level you move up, it's probably gonna drop another three to four percent. So mm-hmm. you're talking like if I got drafted and I have a 30% whiff rate. By the time you get to pro ball, it's going to be almost a 40% whiff rate. Right. And so, like, yes, tools matter. And, like, yes, tools play in the big leagues. Like, I'm not going to say they don't because we see it every single day. But you got to be able to play some baseball. And your tools have to be exponentially better if you can't play defense and you can't add value on a, on a baseball roster. Um and I think that's just that's a misconception across the board now. And like, yes, everyone's throwing harder. Yes, everyone's hitting the ball harder. And like that stuff matters. It does. It has a place. It's a piece of the pie. But even in pro ball, we just see people that don't know how to play anymore and don't know how to do those finer things. If, like you said, like Moss could just flip things up there and keep guys off balance and compete. Mm-hmm. Competing is a lost art in a lot of ways. I would agree, and and I think. I think there are there are some coaches out there, whether it's the high school level, college level, that are still going out and not caring about the rankings of recruiting, and are finding the niche, and and probably getting hit hard a little bit on the marketing side. Mm-hmm. But they're like, hey, this guy fit, you know, a, a guy that was there, Ed Service with Creighton. We were talking about him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, he is. Defense. <laughs> he loves defense, and he—that's what he talks about. And 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 he, um, you know, if you hit the ball on the ground when you when you faced him, I mean, you did not get a ground ball past his infield. And I mean, he had a shortstop at first base, second base, third, shorts, and a shortstop. And um, and he he knows how to win. He knows how to recruit to his his philosophy. And I think that's why Creighton's been in the top forty for so many years. Um, that, uh, and, and I, I joke, I, there's, I lost to a bunch of Eric Moss, you know, with, with Creighton because he was like, Hey, throw strikes, mix it up. We'll field behind you and we'll score enough runs. So, um, because if you win three to two, it's as it's good as winning off. 10 to nothing. Yeah. So it's, Tim, uh, it's interesting. Tim, you're quiet, man. What are you thinking about? You're taking it all in. What do you got? I'm I'm here to learn on this one. Like you said from the beginning, you've you've asked questions that have kind of popped up in my head already. But as you were saying, like this is totally foreign to me. I've got an 18 year old son, and I'm I'm hopefully about to step into some of these waters. But um, I knew nothing about the transfer portal, about the NIL money, other than it was totally new to me. All, all I could think about is like like the college basketball when I used to love watching it because guys stayed four years and you could follow them. And now, now I could care less about college basketball because they're all one and done or whatever. And like, that's what keeps coming into my head when I hear this stuff. Um, and I know it's different, but that's, that's what was popping in my head. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't have much, like, I think it's, I think it's, it's good information about, about metrics or, whatever you want to call them, uh, can get your foot in the door. But once your foot's in the door, you better be able to play the game. And um, so for me, it's kind of thinking about like, not just from like a father, but even just the state of the game. Um, and like a st- the state of the game here in the United States, because we, we still have players from like Venezuela and Cuba and whatever that are that are coming in from a different um, program. But like, how do like, because it, it costs so much now too. Like, so now we're talking about a, a whole nother problem in this thing, which is we have really good athletes that we lose to other sports because not only um, is it hard to develop kids now because of, because baseball's become monetized um, at every level, um, but they, these kids who can't afford to play and and so it's like you know, even me, like, a, like I, I, I contact college and they're like, yeah, we'd love to see your son, um, bring him out to this showcase. It's going to be 200 bucks. And there's all these kids there. And it's like, what, what, is this a showcase or are we just fundraising for y'all? You know, I, I don't know. So like, that's the whole nother issue that I just worry about, um, with kind of the state of the game. I know there are some really good people out there trying to do things. It sounds like what the White Sox are doing sounds sounds pretty cool. I know one of my players has bought land uh, in Georgia and is trying to put some um, um, some fields on there and run tournaments for a nonprofit where he can bring in kids who can't afford to play. I just think we're going to need a lot more of that if we want to keep getting the good athletes from the United States to, to, to continue you know, flooding it. And it's not just a you know, suburban rich kid sport. Like that's what it's kind of getting to. It almost seems like. No, I, I agree with you. You know, um, the White Sox, they, they have another organization called the White Sox ACE program. And they, they've had it for a long time. It's, um, um, they have kids in the suburbs, but a lot of inner city kids in Chicago 
um, and the White Sox have a, a charity group that that helps sponsors um, not only with baseball, but you know, whether they need tutors, learn what you need to do to get to the next level. And even if they don't, they have a ton of kids going on to play college baseball, but uh, just strive, you know, strive to go to to, to go to college. Um, and um, they make it very affordable. And some kids are not like paying anything. But you're absolutely right, Tim. I think we need to start seeing that um, all around. It, it, and I, I think it's easy to start. I think Major League Baseball is doing a good job in most states, you know, with their team trying to create things with RBI and different things. Um, but we need to make it like sooner, not just when they're in high school. We need to do it when these, these kids are like eight, nine, 10. Because, I mean, if there's different stages of the game, you know, 8, 9, 10, you're learning how to play the game, but you're learning how to have fun. And that fun needs to stay with you. And then you learn how to play the game even a little bit more, and now you're learning how to take your skills, and and maybe you're like, oh, my gosh, now that I'm using my backside, I can actually drive a ball, you know, when you're like 13 or 14. And then when you're in high school, you're you're, you're practicing more if you like the game. But you're right, you don't want to be shelling out four or $5,000 to see if you might like the game because other sports don't cost as much. Um, and you're right. We're, we're losing some kids that way. Um, and it's too bad because I think we all know good athletes can make some adjustments faster <laughs> and, and they're easier to work with at times. So, um, and that's, that's too bad. So that, uh, that we are turning away some, some people in the game. And I think we all grew up watching some great athletes that, if it cost four or five thousand, I don't know if they would be playing the game. So that are in the major leagues today. So, but you're, you're right about that, Tim. All right. So I, I have one more question, and then we can wrap this up. We're getting close to the hour mark. Yeah. If I'm a parent, you know, the parent that you're talking to, and I come to you for advice. Obviously, this is an incredibly nuanced topic that we're we're talking about. Can you give me three to four simple rules on what I need to do as a parent to navigate these waters? Okay. My first thing is one, an honest evaluation, whether it's 15, 16, 17. Um, so you can find out where he's at because there's always where, where are they at and can is, and is it possible to get better? And I mean that is if you're running as, Seven eight sixty, and your goal is to run a six eight sixty. I don't know if that's possible. You know, when from for in two years, you know, or if your exit velocity is seventy five, and I don't know if you're going to be able to get to a hundred in a year. So honest evaluation, but then know when you get that honest evaluation, what colleges fit where you're at, because you need to start looking at where where your feet are today. Um, you know, and not just. You know, hey, I want to go to Texas A&M, but right now you can only play at a Division three school. So, um, so to me, with that, as I always try to make a list of with kids, make a an A where your dream schools are, um, a B list, and the B list is not a Plan B, but they're they're where you are at today after you get your honest valuation, and the C list is what schools you'd go to if you can't play baseball. Because, you know, not playing baseball in college, that's fine. You know, and I think that you need to look at schools too because maybe you want to be a doctor or a lawyer. So you need to look at the schools that you would go for academic only. Now, the reason I say 
to parents having A, B, and C. So if I'm a 15-year-old, I'll give you an example. I wanted to play at Texas a and My uncle was the coach there. I grew up an Aggie fan, loving their baseball. I went to their camps. They got an honest evaluation, and they're like, you're not good enough. Went back, trained to try to play at Texas a Okay. Well, even though I trained to play at my dream school, I was never good enough, but it got me good enough to play at Moorhead State in Kentucky. So to me, train like your dream school, okay, but know where your reality is all the way through the steps of the way, if that makes sense. Because um, that way, when you when you don't jot this stuff down or have communication, by getting it out of evaluation, know where you are, putting down a list of schools... A lot of times kids are going to get more disappointed than pleasantly surprised. And I want kids to be pleasantly surprised. And if pleasantly surprised is going to a junior college, great. Because playing any level of college baseball is is a great, great thing. So um, the other thing is be patient, you know, with the growth. Not everybody grows at the same time as a player and physically. Um, and get off social media and don't care what other people are doing it. Your kid's path is their own path. Um, too many people judge what other people are doing and wondering, well, why is that not happening to my son? Um, and then the last thing, Jeremy and Tim, you both kind of said this, you know, how to hit harder. I don't care what it is. Get in the weight room as soon as possible because um, getting stronger helps. Yeah. So um, so that that would be, that might have been like six six things uh, right there. But. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you talk about an honest evaluation. Do you have any resources or recommendations on where to get that? Is it just find someone local that can give you an evaluation or are there, there are tools and resources that you can point people to? You know, I, I would, whether it's it's your hitting instructor or, you know, like, for example, like knowing your relationship with Tim, okay? Tim would have given you an honest, honest evaluation all the way through, mm-hmm. okay? And I think most people have somebody like that. Um, it, it might be their dad. It might, it might be their high school coach. Just because the guy that you're or, or gal that you're trying to get an honest evaluation from is not the, the big hype person, that doesn't mean they can't give you an honest evaluation. Um, you know, maybe you go to a college camp uh, down the road and maybe the camp's 75 bucks, but the college is going to give you an honest evaluation. So um, it's not always about going to a college camp or showcased to be showcased. Sometimes you have to read and be like, oh, okay, here are my metrics. Here's, here's, this is an honest evaluation right here. You know, um, I run a 7660. I, like they said, I'm an average fielder. Then maybe call the college and ask what that means. You know, um, so you can go to somebody that you trust, but you can also go to a camp and just take the numbers and maybe ask some questions about their evaluation of you to get an honest evaluation. We actually talk. I'll, I'll add to that, Jerry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think I think you you ask somebody one that you're not paying, and two that has probably told you no. And those people are probably going to be honest with you. If you're paying them, not sure. And if they said yes, they already like you. So like that's kind of the route I've taken, which is like, okay, this was a no. What do we got to get better at? Mm-hmm. And and that that's that's probably a simple rule for that one. And I mean, the one thing in, that I'll add to this, and I know we talked about it a lot, like, and I think it was our second episode, is this is feedback. And sometimes feedback's not hard. It, it's hard to take. It can, it, can, it can sting a little bit. 
but like it's the most valuable thing that you can get. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that I've that I've taken away from what you've said this whole time is like it all starts with an actual honest feedback. And for the for the parents that are listening out there, we know you love your kid, but you're actually doing a disservice if you're not aware of where they're at with the skill set and you're chasing an LSU and they're a Moorhead State or a JUCO or right. a community college. You're actually doing more harm than good. So making sure that you understand where you're at in the process this seems to be an incredibly vital piece of the puzzle and, and you two know exactly what it's like to give feedback and being a hedge coach there's kids that want your feedback or, or players all the time and there's some that like oh he's coming to talk to me i must be not doing well <laughs> <laughs> the bearer of bad news <laughs> right yeah yeah you always have to think like how to approach when that happens sometimes. Yeah, for so. sure. For sure. Well, I well, you got those tabs open on your computer. <laughs> yeah, you got the tabs open with their name on it. And they walk yeah. by and they're like, what are you looking at? <laughs> there you go. You've been thinking about how bad I am all night. <laughs> um, well, I got one more question for you. I lied to you earlier. And this isn't about college. If you had to give one name and one recommendation for someone to come on here and teach us something cool about baseball, what would it be? Who would it be? Ooh, that's a that's a tough question. Now, what what like about anything in baseball or just yeah? So I mean, for what we're trying to do, and like, I think for so for Tim and I, one of the big reasons why we're doing this is we love the game of baseball and we're curious. Like, this is a continual education thing for us. Um, mm -hmm. We're not that familiar with college baseball and that whole realm. Yeah. But like I've taken so much out of this conversation and the conversations that we had in the in the car on the way to Iowa. Yeah. So one, we want to continue to learn. And that's kind of the whole purpose of baseball hacking and keep hacking podcasts and everything that we're doing is what, you know, who out there is a good baseball mind that you're like, Okay, you yeah, guys, I got you it. guys should you guys should talk to. Okay. Here here's one I think is remarkable because of this. So I would ask Rick Heller, the head coach of the University of Iowa. Okay. Okay. And and yeah, I know he was he was speaking behind behind us at the Iowa Cup. Here's why. He is one of the most old school coaches and still does develop. And he's at a power five school. And um and but he uses analytics and he's hired people from professional baseball um to come in and be an assistant so he could use it but he's also an old school coach um and he's also had assistants that um uh, he's had two assistants robin lunn who's the one who, who used that uh um whatever the for your computer um yeah, yeah. but uh, he's also had assistants go into professional baseball because of their knowledge of analytics now the reason is how he continues to be an old school coach and use analytics and still develop at University of Iowa. And right now he's taken a Northern state with not a lot of money. He, he does not have the same kind of money um, as like Michigan and Ohio state at Iowa. Mm -hmm. And they've been in regionals and they've been in the top 25 um, about as regular as any other big 10 school. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I would, I would, I would interview him because I think he would be very knowledgeable of, of talking of, of what we just said with um, 
you know, do the kids know what they're doing when, when they, when they get there? How much does he yeah. even worry about the rankings or is he still recruiting players to his program? Yeah. I actually called him up about three or four years ago because I had one of my players as one of his better hitters. And mm-hmm. I, he was like, oh, you want to come watch Chris play or practice? I'm like, no, I want to know how you, because I know you, Rick, are using analytics when I know you're one of the most old school coaches I know. He said, come mm-hmm. on over. So like, he like opened up his whole practice and I got to walk around and see how he, he used everything. And I was pretty amazed on how uh, the, the old school guy was using new knowledge, but still developing um, like the old school style. So Rick, cool. so I can help you with that if you, if you want some help. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to, you'll have to make the introduction and we'll, we'll see if we can make it happen. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy dude. So you guys too. Um, thanks for me to go to Iowa with you. Yep. I, it, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and um, we'll be in touch. We'll be in touch. I'm going to try to get both of you guys come up some other, Tim, you're going to have to experience some like five degree weather. So <laughs> looking forward to it. Yeah. We'll, we'll get, <laughs> the, get the icy beard like Joey Votto had. There, there <laughs> you go. We'll make sure that happens. So. <laughs> All right, guys. Y'all right. have a good night. Everybody take, take, care. take care. Thanks, Scott. Yep. Thanks, Tim. A quick message, don't forget to visit our website, baseball-hacking.com, and subscribe for our latest information we have coming out. There's no spam, just updates for those who want our content. And as always, thanks for taking the time to listen.